chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. Father, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for this opportunity uh, to come before your word, to come into your house, to congregate, assemble together as your church. Father, I thank you that our ears are open, our hearts are receptive, our minds are attentive to the word of God tonight. I thank you that we cast off everything that might be trying to distract us or uh, take part in our minds, and we, we put all that down tonight so that we can focus on your word, give attention to it, because your word is life to us. Your word is you speaking to us. It's spirit, it's peace, it's life. So everything we need is in your word. It's contained within the word that we'll hear tonight, Father. So I thank you that we receive it, not as the words of man, but as the words of God, that we will apply it to our lives and we will be equipped by it. In Jesus' name, Everyone said, amen, amen. It's good to be back with you. We were back on Sunday, uh, but it's good to be back. How many of you were here last week for Pastor Brian? Good, 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 amen. Good group. I heard we had a good group. I have not uh, heard his message yet, but I know that he brought a word from God, and I pray that it blessed you. Um, I know that he was blessed by being here and, and being a part of this body. Many of you know him from when he was here before, and um, I know that he was encouraged and blessed to be up here and uh, have the opportunity to minister to you all, so um, that was good. We were out in Nicaragua, and we have uh, had a great time there, and we've got much more to say concerning uh, Nicaragua and what took place, and we will continue to cast vision, but... One thing that I said on Sunday that I just want to kind of reiterate is just keep in reminder, you know, it's real easy to get locked in our minds of uh, Anchor Faith Church and the vision of Anchor Faith Church, and we never really get out beyond these four walls. But you got to keep in mind that Anchor Faith Church is down in St. Augustine with about 300 to 350 people that congregate there every Sunday and Wednesday. You've got Anchor Faith Church in Puerto Rico. Uh, that began about a year and a half ago now in July of 2011. And then um, you've got what's happening in Nicaragua. If you want to be in prayer for these different uh, avenues of ministry that are taking place for the ministry, uh, our uh, mission, our goal is to ignite the city, impact the nation, and influence the world. And we're starting to see that the cities we're igniting wasn't just St. Augustine. The nations we're igniting isn't just the United States of America, and then, you know, in, in, in part of that, we're influencing the world, and it's taking place now. It's exciting for me because I've been um, with Anchor Faith Church in the full nine years uh, since it began, seeing the, uh, the mission and the ministry grow uh, from the ground up, and it's exciting to see something that once we used to talk about uh, with a group of about 17 people in a middle school, now we're seeing it take place. Now we're actually influencing uh, Nicaragua. And I'm telling you right now, what's taking place in Nicaragua is not just reaching Nicaragua. Because what we're looking to do there is develop up uh, uh, pastors and leaders and teachers that will then go into Guatemala and Costa Rica and Panama and uh, San Salvador and Cuba and, and that whole uh, Caribbean area down there. So it's not even just limited uh, to Nicaragua. So uh, just be excited and, and, and know that you're a part of something much bigger than all of us. Pastor Earl used to tell us 
from the beginning that the vision is bigger than us, but it requires all of us, every single part, every single thing you do, every single prayer you put up, every, every time you uh, watch the kids next door, you're, you're helping over here, whatever it is that your role is with the church, it's beyond what we're doing here, but it's for uh, the gospel of the kingdom. It's going out. Amen? So be excited about that. We'll have videos and more reports of uh, what took place last week um, as uh, we get those things together. Here in Judges chapter 6, I want to talk about something uh, tonight. I want to talk about fearless, being fearless. And uh, fear is, is not, uh, you know, sometimes we like to say that there are certain things we're scared of. There are certain things that we're afraid of. But in all honesty, fear is, comes on everybody at any given time, because fear is not just an emotion. I'm not talking about the emotional fear tonight. I'm talking about the spiritual fear tonight. And that spiritual fear comes uh, from the enemy to get you off your purpose and outside of your course. If he can get you afraid, then you will never pursue and you will never go after something. You notice that people that are fearful are passive and don't even want things to come to them. But people that are fearless seem to be more aggressive, and they'll go in, and they'll actually attack, and, and not just wait for things to come to them, but they'll go in and take hold of something. And as the gospel of the kingdom goes forth, and as kingdom citizens, the Bible says the violent, uh, vi- the, the kingdom suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. So there's a forceful advancement of the kingdom that needs to be taken place from the body of Christ. And you and I play that role. You and I are the ones that are forcefully advancing the kingdom in our jobs, in our daily lifestyles, in our homes. And uh, there is an enemy out there that does not want you to forcefully advance. But I'm going to tell you tonight, he can't stop you either. He can't stop you. The only thing that stops you is yourself. The only thing that causes us to quit is ourselves throwing in the towel and saying, I can't do it anymore. So we want to get out of this mentality of fearfulness, and we want to become fearless People. And so I'm going to take you to a man tonight named Gideon. Most of us are aware of his story, but I hope to be able to pull out some points that maybe you haven't seen before. And uh, we want to look at his life because this was a man that was full of fear. In Judges chapter 6, in the beginning, uh, it talks about how uh, basically this book of Judges is just one big circle, one big cycle. If you remember that God brought his people, the Israelites, out of the wilderness into the promised land. They eventually got in after 40 years. And they started taking over nations and taking over countries. But the Israelites fell into a cycle that you and I fall into uh, many times in our lives as well. And that is, of, that, that, that is forgetting God, thinking that everything we've accomplished and everything we've done, we did it on our own, and then pursuing the world rather than pursuing God. Instead of changing the world, we become changed by the world. And this is what happened. The Israelites, they ended up serving and worshiping gods of these nations that they were going in and supposed to be conquering and supposed to be changing for the kingdom. They ended up, uh, the Bible says that they forgot God. They forgot his promises. They forgot uh, who brought them out of Egypt. They forgot who brought them out of oppression. They forgot who gave them the promised land, who promised the land to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They forgot this God. And when you forget that God, you get into a very dangerous Place And the Bible says here in Judges 6 that God actually handed them over to their oppressors, to their enemies. Now, God wasn't bringing destruction and turmoil. They brought it on themselves. 
but that just allowed for their enemies to now rule them. They, that allowed for this group here in Judges chapter 6, the Midianites, to conquer them and rule over them. And so go down to verse 11. And it says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, not Oprah, but Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. This man, Gideon, is scared. He's not fearless. He's fearful. He is afraid because enemies are coming against them, and he feels hopeless. He feels helpless. He feels like there's nothing that I can do, so let me just get down, mind my own business, because actually threshing wheat, which is the action he's doing here, is supposed to be done at a high place, because when you thresh it, you want the wind to take it. Well, he's down in a wine press. He's in a depressed state. He's in the bottom of something, which isn't even the ideal place for him to be doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's hiding. He's scared. He doesn't want the Midianites to come and take what is his. They don't want, he doesn't want them to come and take him or his family. So this man is hiding. But look at verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. You mighty man of valor. This is where Gideon takes a, he, he does a take two here, and he's looking around like, who, who are you talking to? I'm, I'm not, you got the wrong guy. And we have all done this. You got the wrong guy. Because here's what God does. We've talked about this before. God always talks to you in view of your future. God always talks to you in regards to your potential that's inside of you. Not to what your present state or what your past has been. Why does he do that? Because God doesn't operate in time like you and I. He's not walking our lives out. He never asked the question, I wonder what's going to happen next. He never asked that question. God is not sitting up in heaven looking at your life and saying, well, I wonder what Thursday's going to bring. I wonder what's going to happen in 2013. I wonder where they're going to be in five years. I wonder what his life is going to look like in six years. I wonder if that business is going to work. I wonder if, if he's really going to be able to accomplish that. I wonder if they're really going to finish school. He doesn't ask those questions because everything to God has already happened. So basically, you can put it this way. Your future is in his past. It's already taken place. You are an open book to God, and he's just wondering, are you going to walk out the steps I've already laid out? Because the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. So Gideon is a life here that in the natural is scared fearful, afraid, doesn't want to be known, doesn't want to come out, is trying to hide because uh, his people have given themselves over to the world. But God looks at Gideon's life as an open book saying, here's what I know you're going to do if you, give, if you give your life to me. Here's what I know is inside of you. God is not waiting for your present to reflect his future for you. God wants you to see your present the way he sees your future. I'll say that again. God is not waiting for your present state to match his future. 
before he called you. He didn't wait for Gideon to, you know, get up and say, you know what? I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to go fight these guys. I'm going to start an army. I'm going to create an army. We're going to go. We're going to take these guys down. He didn't wait for that. He went to Gideon when he was still hiding. He went to Gideon when he was still in the bottom of the wine press doing the wrong job in the wrong place at the wrong time. God will call you when nothing around you matches what he's telling you to do. He will tell you to start a business at the worst economic time in your nation. He'll tell you to go back to school when you've got your hands full and you've got so many things on your plate and he'll say, go after this. He will uh, cause you to go after things and to pursue things that naturally they are not possible. Because he's not waiting for your natural state to match his future for you. He's just waiting for you to see your present in his future position. If we could just get the picture of what God sees in us, the potential he's placed within us, and what he has for us, we'd accomplish great things. We'd accomplish great things. So here we see a man, Gideon, who is the actual, the absolute opposite of you mighty man of valor. But look at how he precedes that statement. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. He qualifies it. As long as God is with you, you're a mighty man of valor. As long as you understand that your God is working through you, you'll do great things. And notice that the angel, when he showed up in verse 11, he sat down. See, God is in a, God's in a whole other ball game, and we got to get in his game. This is, a, this is a time of turmoil. These Israelites are under distress. They have an enemy coming to attack them, and an angel comes, and he doesn't get in his face and say, listen to me. He sits down. He says, hey, by the way, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Go to the next verse, verse 13. Gideon said to him, oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened? Look, these are questions we ask. Why? Why has this happened? And where? Where? are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. He's identifying here that he's recalling what God did for them before. God's waiting for you to look at his faithfulness in your life. Gideon brings up, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. Everybody else forgot this. This is why they're in the mess that they're in. But Gideon qualifies himself and says, this is the, he can do this. God can do this. This is the God that brought us out of Egypt. But he's asking the same questions we do. Why? Where? When? How? He's asking all the questions. Verse 14. Then the Lord God, then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Look what he tells him here. Go in this might of yours. Yours. What's he saying? 
Start with what you've got. Start with what you've got. We're looking at a man that is fearful. What does he have? But then he, re, he reminds himself, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. Look, if, all, if you are in a, in a fearful, depressed state, and all you can think of is what God did for you before, and you're wondering where that God is, let that charge you on. Let that spur you on to say, you know what? He did it before. He can do it again. Because in the natural, go in the mind of yours, this angel has lost it. This is one of them crazy angels. But he's not. Because he's going off of what Gideon identified. You remember what God did for your forefathers. You remember how God came through for your ancestors. You remember how he brought you out of 400 years of oppression by the Egyptians, brought you through a wilderness, and gave you a promised land. That he promised to you thousands of years before that. You remember that. So go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? God, when he calls, it's active. It's always in the present state. Have I not sent you? That's past me, and it's still ongoing. This is, this is it. I've sent you. I've called you. This is the purpose I've placed for you. This is the potential that I've put inside of you. Go in the might that you have and watch what God will do with that. Watch what God will do with that. So keep going. Verse 15. So he said to him, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. More excuses. I mean... Gideon is full of it here. Sounds like Moses. Sounds just like Moses. No, you got the wrong guy. No, you don't know what you're talking about. No, what about this? No, what about that? I'm the, I'm the smallest guy in my family. I'm the weakest. I'm the least. My clan, my tribe, my family, we're the smallest in, in all of Manasseh. I mean, he's just rambling off excuses here. Why? Because when God speaks to you about greatness and you're in a position of, of fear about where that thing is going to go or how that thing is going to turn out, that's when it's hard for you to picture what God has for your life. That's when it gets hard. But here, God once again says in verse 16, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, if, I, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. So now he does a little test with this angel. And he goes and he prepares an offering. He places it on a rock to find out, okay, if you're really sent by the Lord, then you're going to accept this offering. And so he takes the offering. He places it on a rock. The angel reaches out and a fire consumes the offering, which is God receiving, accepting the offering. And now Gideon knows you've been sent by God. There's a little disclaimer I have to make here uh, because we cannot get ourselves uh, in the cycle of what Gideon was in. And if you go on reading, if you know the story of Gideon, Gideon, he does another test with God. 
and he says, all right, God, if this is really what you're calling me to do, then I'm going to take a dry fleece and I'm going to place it out at night on the ground. And in the morning, I want the ground covered in dew, but I want the fleece to be completely dry. And so it happens. And then he says, well, you know what, let, let, let's do it this way. And he reverses it. He says, I'm going to take the fleece, a dry fleece, place it on dry ground. The next morning I want to go out, I want the fleece to be soaking wet, but I want the ground to be completely dry. He's doing these little tests with God, and God appeases him. But there's something that Gideon doesn't have that you and I do have, and that's the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. See, we don't need to test God, and God doesn't have to prove to us that it's him who's speaking to us because we have the Holy Spirit who bears witness with our spirit. you got to be careful with that. As New Testament believers, this is a man in the Old Testament. Jesus Christ has not died. He hasn't accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He hasn't received the Holy Spirit into his life. And so he's doing these little tests. But you and I have a greater witness on the inside of us, even greater than fleeces, uh, you know, being dry or stopping wet the next morning. We have a witness inside of us, the Holy Spirit, that's speaking to us, that can give us that clarity and give us that direction. So we don't need to test God. But here, God allows Gideon to test him, question him. And so we see here uh, that uh, God is speaking to Gideon. He's talking to him in basis of his potential, in basis of his future. He's not bringing into regards his past, being a small person in a small family, in a small tribe, in a small clan. And not his present state of hiding in a wine press when he should be out threshing wheat out in the open. He's not bringing those things. He's just saying, you are a mighty man of valor. Well, then if we go on down in uh, verse 28, I'm not going to read it, but God gives Gideon an assignment. And he tells him, I want you to take 10 men with you and I want you to take uh, a a small uh, calf or a small donkey. And I want you to go into the town. And I want you to burn down and tear down all their wooden idols that they've been worshiping. Now Gideon could be thinking, this, this is how you want me to save Israel? This is the big thing? This is the big mighty man of valor thing you got for me? Want me to go into town and tear down some wooden idols with ten men? You've got to be kidding me. But what's, what's God doing? God wants to test his faithfulness and see, will you respond to me in the small before I send you to do the big? We know in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus told a parable that said, uh, where a master gave three men, three servants, talents, and two of the men took what was given, doubled it, master came back, received what was his, plus the extra, and said, uh, You have been faithful with little, so now I will make you ruler over much. You have to obey God with the steps you've been given. Many times we we get this, and and I had to deal with a few people in regards to this. uh, uh, Some other people, they're they're not in this church, but some other people that that knew God had called them. Knew God had placed them. Knew God had placed the call on their lives. 
But every time we had a conversation about this particular call, it was always, yeah, you know, I, I, I know God's called us. I know God uh, you know, wants us to do that thing. What are we doing? Well, I'm just waiting on the green light. Seems to me like you've already gotten the green light. See, our hesitancy in obeying God with what he's already given us is not going to bring any more steps beyond that. It won't. God doesn't work that way. God works in steps, and he doesn't skip steps. So we have to obey God in what we've been told to do. I remember, you know, as a a 21-year-old kid, uh, when I left Texas and came to Florida, I didn't know where I was going to live. I didn't know where I was going to work. I didn't have a lot of uh, questions answered that most people would wait for. And I've seen people wait, and I've seen it be a danger to them. Well, I'll move when I get my house sold. I'll move when I find a job. Go on what God gives you and watch him open up doors as you go. Watch him cause things to line up by just obeying. He said, remember Abraham. He gave him one word, go. He didn't give him a direction. He didn't give him a specific place. He didn't tell him how long it was going to take to get there. He just said, go. And as soon as Abraham responded to go, then things started opening up. Direction started coming. You're going to have a hard time in life getting out of a fear factor, uh, getting be, becoming fearless if we're always fearful to just take the first step that God gives. So God's given steps. God's giving direction, but it's as it comes. And so Gideon is obedient in doing this act, obeying God. And then we get to Genesis chapter, or uh, Judges chapter 7, I'm sorry, Judges, Judges chapter 7. It says, then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of, of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of the Moray, of Moray in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the, Idiot, the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Look at who's looking for the credit here. God. God. See, Gideon's getting ready to go up against the army that's, up, that's over 100,000 people. And he starts out with uh, 32,000 men, which you're already in a deficit. <laughs> We're already in the red. I mean, we, we need to get a couple more nations and clans and tribes together. Uh, we're already working with the bare minimum. And God says, no, 32,000 is too much. It's too much. Don't look at what you have as too little because God may be looking at what you have and say, that's too much. <laughs> don't look at what you have in your possession and say, man, I... I, I I don't even have enough. I don't have enough schooling to do that. I don't have enough uh, education to do that. I don't have enough training. I don't have enough resources. I don't have enough funds. Uh, I, I don't have enough uh, uh, popularity in the town. to. I, I don't have enough. And God's saying, you know what? We might actually have too much. We may need to cut back. And if you stay with the thought process, you have too 
little, then you'll never cut back when he says you have too much. See, we got to get in a mindset of what God sees and how God performs and let God do what he's wanting to do. We can always discount ourselves. We can always discredit ourselves. We can always find the excuses. But now when God starts to speak, we've got to obey those steps. Gideon's already proved himself in some of these steps. So now here we are, verse 2, and he says, got to get rid of some. Verse 3, now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, 10,000 remained. That's rough. (laughs) That's rough. I'm already in a deficit with 32,000. I've just seen over half of that leave. I'm now operating with 10,000. All right, God, cool it. We're there. We got it. All right, 10,000. Fine. We'll go with 10,000. But God's not done. You still ain't done. Go to verse 4. But the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And of whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. You've got to just picture Gideon, man. He's seeing this thing get split apart. He's seeing, okay, got about 300 over here. We've got about 77 Man, I sure hope God is going with the 7,700, man. It's got to be the ones that got all the way down. I mean, they, you know, they look silly doing it that way, but, you know, 7,700, fine. I I can go from, I I can go down. Actually, it's 9,700, 9,700, not not 77. That would be 3,000, 2,300. 9,700 men in one section, and we got 300 lousy soldiers. Over here. You talking a, you got a man that is fearful, afraid, scared, is approached by an angel, says, God is with you, you mighty man of valor. Here's what I'm going to call you to do. You're going to save and deliver Israel from their enemies. Now, God could do some big stuff. But you're getting me here. We got, there's 301 of us. (laughs) You can't look at the natural. To get out of fear, to become fearless, you have to look beyond what you see. What you see will always scare you. What you see will always put you in a fearful mode. What is going on around you will always be contrary to what God is telling you to do. 
But see, God isn't going based upon what's around you. He's going based upon what's in you. God is more excited about what is inside of you than he is what's going on around you. So get excited about what God is doing in your life. And so we go on down now to verse 7. The Lord God, the Lord said to Gideon, by the 300 men who lapped, I will save you, deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands, and he sent them, sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those 300 men. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. Now we've got Gideon from being in a depressed state to being up on top. Now he's in a place where he can be on top and see what's going on. It happened on the same night. The Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites and Amalekites, all the people of the east, were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. Their camels were without number, as the sand by the seashore in multitude. When Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his, his companion. He said, I've had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. He worshipped. He worshipped. He didn't wait until the battle was over and victory was won to stop and praise and worship his God. He stopped right there. The second you get a clue of what God's going to do in your life and what he's going to pull you out of, you need to stop and praise him immediately. We make the... We make the uh, mistake of waiting until after. And God wants to know where your faith is at. And he wants to know, are you going to wait to thank me for that later? Or are you going to thank me for that now? Before you actually see it. So, he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. He divided the 300 men into three companies. He put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers. And torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. This is why God was looking for people that were focused, alert, and aware of what's going on. Which are the ones that are going to get down and bring the water to themselves while still looking up? Because they're going to be in a position where I'm going to need someone alert. Someone that's going to be watchful. Someone that's going to be able to see. Because look, if any part of this plan is not done and not obeyed to the T, the whole thing goes wrong. God needs alertness. God needs awareness. God needs people that are not going to bury themselves in the water they're drinking, but that they're going to look up. They're going to be alert and watchful. Because the time's going to come when you're going to have to see something. You're going to have to be alert to obey and respond.
to what God is telling you to do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle of the watch, middle watch, just as they had posted the watch. And they blew the trumpets, broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hands, the trumpets in their right hands for blowing, and they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. They haven't used a sword. They haven't used a shield. They haven't used a bow and arrow. They have trumpets and pitchers of fire. It's amazing what God will put in your hand as a resource that you think I can't do anything with, and he's going to be able to use it for his glory. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him uh, came to the outpost. Let's see, where were we? Verse 21, and every man uh, stood in his place all around the camp, and the whole army ran and cried out and fled. When the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companions throughout the whole camp, and the army fled to Beth Achaia towards Zerera as far as the border of uh, Abel Mahola by Tabath. And the men of Israel gathered together from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh and pursued the Midianites. Gideon sent messengers throughout all the mountains of Ephraim saying, come down against the Midianites and seize from them the watering places as far as Beth Bera and the Jordan. All the men of Ephraim gathered together seized the watering places as far as Beth Bera and the Jordan. They captured two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb. Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. They pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of the Jordan. It's amazing what God will do with a small amount of resources because he knows what those resources can do. I don't know what it is uh, in your life uh, that may be bringing fear, that may you have may have you in a depressed, low state, maybe thinking, uh, there's no way I can come out of this. I need more than what I have. The resources I have are not enough. But God is speaking to people who are mighty men and women of valor. He's speaking to people not based upon what you have done or where the past has brought you. He's not speaking to you based upon what's going on in your life today but he's speaking to you in regards to the future he has laid for you, the potential he's placed within you. And he's going to put resources, although it may seem small, he's going to place resources in your hands to accomplish the vision and get the victory in your life. That's what it means to be fearless. To be fearless is to place your trust and confidence in God. Fearful people are ones that forget who's on their side. Fearful people are ones that forget who has called them, who has appointed them, who has set them in place, who has given them a future and a hope. So we've got to be in remembrance. Look in uh, 2, T- 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 7. This is a popular verse. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Watch this. 
your spirit man on the inside is never afraid of anything. Never fearful of anything. Never gets scared. Never asks the question, where's God? Your spirit man doesn't ask the question, why is this happening? Your spirit man doesn't ask the question, how is this going to happen? Your spirit man doesn't ask those questions. You know what asks those questions? You do. In your mind. That's why he said you don't have a spirit of fear. I'm not talking about the emotion of fear. I'm not saying you look at a a, a cockroach and you scream and run the opposite direction. I'm talking about fear as in a spirit of fear. But your spirit man never gets afraid. He's given you a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. When we get our mind to rest on what God has called us to do, who God has called us to be, you won't be fearful. I'm not saying you won't come up on situations that are fearful. I'm saying you'll respond out of power, out of love, and out of a sound mind. Psalms chapter 27, verse 1. Psalms 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? See, look, Gideon was able to go against that army. And remember what that angel told him. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. When we can focus on who God is, who God is with us, and who God has made us to be, we'll get out of fear. We'll learn to live fearless. We'll learn to live fearless. Now, I want to throw this in there because this was Gideon's problem. Gideon was not living out who he was. Gideon was not a reflection on the outside of who God had called him to be on the inside. Your starting point to getting out of fear, your starting point to being fearless, is getting in the will of God for your life. That has to be your starting point. What is God's will for my life? What does he want me to do? What does he want me to change? Where does he want me to be? Who does he want me to be to influence? When Gideon got out of the wine press, when he got, look, what Gideon was doing wasn't wrong. It was where and how he was doing it that was wrong. Sometimes we can just get caught up in, well, I'm doing the right things, but we're not doing the right things in the right place at the right time. And we got to get it all to line up. Gideon had to do the right thing in the right place at the right time so the Lord could show up in his life. We're the ones that cut off that supply. We're the ones that cut off that resource. God is saying, I'm with you, so bring yourself out. That means maybe doing something that does bring a lot of fear to your life. That means branching out and stepping out and saying, man, this, this, is, this is different, this is more than what I'm used to doing. This is more than what I'm used to giving. This is more than what I'm used to applying. But watch what God will do when you give him all of you. 
See, really, all that God was asking for was Gideon. That's what he was asking for. Gideon's obedience allowed the 300 men to come alongside him. Gideon's obedience allowed him to go down and find out that God was really for them and to hear that dream. It was Gideon's obedience. If he didn't obey the first step, it would have never opened the doors for anything else. So a fearless person is one that remembers that God is their light. God is their salvation. God is with you. You have a spirit not of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Amen? Well, Father, we thank you tonight for this word. We thank you that you have called us to be fearless for the kingdom of God. You've called us to advance. Gideon went from someone that was hiding in a wine press to someone who was attacking another nation, another country. No matter what enemies have come against us, no matter what things have shown up in our lives to overtake us, Father, you have called us to conquer and win every time. But it requires a fearless attitude. Fearful people don't win. Fearful people don't overcome. So, Father, I thank you tonight. We take this word. We apply it to our lives. Those situations that maybe have been a little fearful, a little frightening to step into. I don't know if I'm ready to go in that far. I don't know if I'm ready to take on all that. I don't know if I'm ready to give all that up. Father, you have called us to be fearless people for the kingdom of God to advance and take ground. And so I thank you that you are equipping, encouraging, empowering every single one of us tonight to live and operate fearlessly. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.